the giant. <laughs> God, we want to thank you that you are our God and uh, everything we have is from you, Lord. Every, every breath that we take is from you. And I, Lord, I just, I just want to remember that continually, that in our lives, every good gift has been given by you. And, and Lord, I know that every, every week we all walk into this room and we're in different places in our journey of faith. And Lord, this morning, some people are here are, are struggling through things and some people are, are having a good stretch. But, but Lord, we, we all, the cross levels the playing field for us all. And we just want to recognize that you are our Savior. You are our God. You are our everything. And, and I just pray that you would give us focus and the wherewithal to understand that and to be to be good with that and, and, and to move and to walk in that. So God, I, I pray that the, your word this morning would speak into our hearts wherever we are in our journey of faith. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Okay. Let's kick this baby off. Genesis chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is early off in the creation story, not necessarily the creation story of God creating the the heavens and the earth and the water and all that type of thing, but it's early off in the creation story of God's people. And God calls this guy, Abram, and we really don't know why. There's a lot of speculation as to why he gets picked and somebody else did, but God called him and pretty much commands him. He tells him, go, leave everything behind. Leave your country, leave your people, leave your family, leave your inheritance, everything. Just go to a place that I'm going to show you where it is. And so, Abram, he goes. But not before God brings to him, explains to him this this amazing promise. He says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And you're going to be a blessing. And then it says that at the, at the last, it says, people, all the peoples on earth are going to be blessed through you. I mean, that's a, pretty, that's a pretty big blessing that God offers this guy. I mean, did you ever think for a minute what he might have thought hearing this? Like, like, okay, for me, I would be thinking, well, okay, what's that blessing look like? Wait, God, are you going to bless even the people I don't like? And the people that don't like me? I mean, this is just me thinking out loud. And, and, and what, what's that blessing going to look like? Are they going to become a great nation too? Do they have this whole inheritance? And so you got to think that he's a guy and he's probably thinking through these things. But whatever the reasons are, whatever the blessings actually are, God gives him this promise. And Abraham believes that promise. And so he goes. Now, this is the backdrop to our text this morning in Galatians that Paul is going to talk about. We're going to start reading in Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. 
Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous, the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On contrary, it says, whoever does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So there's a lot going on in that text from, from Paul writing to the, to the Galatians. So we're just going to kind of break it down a little bit. Um, Paul wants us to understand that, that God enters into this covenant with Abram and he gives him this promise. And so justification from the very beginning was based upon faith. The blessing of justification, the blessing of being made right with God was all about faith. It was not about following the rules. It was not about getting it right. It was not about the law. It was about faith. And the fact that Abram followed God in faith, it was credited to him as his righteousness. It was his faith that made him righteous before God. And it's been this way from the very beginning. This is a precursor to the gospel that Jesus would come and introduce to people. And so really what's happening, Jesus is bringing nothing new when he comes and he preaches and he teaches. Paul is bringing absolutely nothing new as he comes and he preaches and he teaches. It's always been about faith. And in Judaism, to be considered a child of Abraham was considered a huge deal. It was mean that you were part of the lineage, that you were in the in crowd. You were part of, of the people. And in order to be a child of Abraham, and especially if you were a male, first you had to be circumcised, and then you had to follow the law. And once you started in that path, circumcision and following the law, then you would have been considered a child of Abraham. And see, that's a big deal. That's, 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 a big, uh, that's a big slate to wear across your chest. Everybody wanted to be considered in the Jewish tradition to be considered the child of Abraham. And Paul is taking this theology, and he's not only challenging it, but he's, he's, he's flipping it around. He goes, no, no, see, see you're missing it. It's, it's not about the law. It's not about circumcision. It's by faith. Faith in God is likened to being a child of Abraham. It's a faith thing. And it's also faith that gets us to the place of being able to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Do you see the theme that's kind of going on through this whole thing? Do you see the, the, the common thread? Anybody? What is it? You missed it? It's faith. It's always been faith. Faith brings about God's justification. We are made right with God through faith. It's faith that brings us into sonship with Abraham, who's considered the man of faith. It's faith 
that opens the door to the Holy Spirit, that we can receive that gift. It's not about the rules. It's not about morality. It's not about ethics. It's not about you measuring up and being good enough to get there. It has always been about faith. Now, the idea of this this big theological term we call justification, and, and again, that just means you're right with God. Justification is now set in salvation history. And and what that means is this. Jesus was never an afterthought. God wasn't sitting around one day and he's, he's up there in heaven. He's looking down. He's like, you know, this whole Old Testament thing is just not working out. We, we, we got to come up with something a little bit different. Maybe what we need is a, um, a New Testament. Jesus, get down there and mess with people. Scramble some things up and let's see if we can get the, get the ball rolling in the right direction. It wasn't like that at all. Jesus has always been the plan. And when he came to earth, he fulfilled God's original plan from way back when Adam and Eve messed it all up in the garden. He has always been the plan and he took the curse for us, for the fall that we are born in sin and he spread his arms out on that tree and the weight of that curse was put on his shoulders so that we could know God and that we could walk in forgiveness and that we could walk in wholeness and that we could be recipients of grace and mercy. His death and resurrection has opened the door by faith that we can be justified before God. His death and resurrection has opened the door that we can receive the gift of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, that we'd be, we'd able, be able to live the life that he's called us to live. And so now let's truck on in Galatians. Brothers and sisters, You like the way I say that, huh? Let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred to had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. It is the law, therefore opposed to the promise. Wait, I'm sorry. Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. If the law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would surely have come by the law. I'll tell you, reading Paul can just scramble your eggs if you just don't sit down and kind of take it slowly, take it part by part. In fact, I think it's in Second Peter um, and, and I've said this before, but Peter's like, yeah, some of you have been reading Paul. Good luck with that. Because he's, like, he's just like this deep thinker. So we can see here that Paul has calmed down a little bit. Remember in the beginning of chapter 3, he starts off by calling everybody a fool. And now he's all like, my brothers and sisters. He, I guess he wants to get in on the good side of the people. 
So he's calmed down a little bit. He's trying to be nice, but he wants to point out this, that even people, even humans, when they enter into a covenant and that covenant is sealed, when the deal has been sealed, they don't go back and try to change it. They don't go back and try to add to it. They don't go back and try to try to take away from it. The deal has been done. It's been ratified. It's been sealed, whatever you want to call it. And that is the covenant. And so if people don't go back on their word, if people don't go back on whatever deal they have created, how much more so would it be for God? God's covenants are written literally in stone. God cannot change his mind. God cannot go back on his word. Because if God can go back on his word, then he would be something other than God. He would be human, I guess. And so the covenant that has been established cannot go away. And what God establishes between Abraham and himself is based upon promises. God promises him something. They are promises of God made by God, and they will be brought to fruition by God's grace. See, this whole thing, this whole thing calls, to, calls the attention to our Father, to the Lord and what he is doing and what he is going to do and what he has done. And it pulls any, any inclination that we as people can actually live up to something or can actually add or take away or, or do anything in the covenant of God. We have no chance at fulfilling God's promises because only God can fulfill those promises because they are made by his grace. And by his mercy, the promises of God can only be filled by God himself. Now, I think it's important to, to briefly think again, okay, what did, what did God promise Abe? I can call him that because we're close. Um, he, promised him, he promised him a universal blessing, and he promised him land. He promised him, like, descendants. And so the idea of this, this whole covenant, this whole promise is reiterated again and again and again in the chapters of Genesis, chapters 12, 15, 17, 18, that this promise is spoken again. And then it's spoken to, uh, to Jacob and it's spoken to Isaac in, in Genesis 26 and 28 and 35. And so there, this thing is constantly being spoken, the promise of God, the promise of God, the promise that was made to Abraham. God wants to make sure that he that he wants to make sure that we understand that he is not going back on his word. This is what he has given to Abraham, and this is what he will see through to fruition. Now, when it talks about offspring, you would think, at least I would think, descendants, offspring, written in the original language, it's, it's actually a word that's written in singular. So, you know, you would think, okay, he's talking about Abraham's descendants, his, his family, his bloodline, or at least a remnant of the people of, of Israel down the road. But there's something that we can't, we can't just uh, take for granted. And Paul picks up on it. It's, it's the idea that the word in Genesis 12, 7, which says, uh, which reads, to your offspring, I will give this land is a singular word. And he points it out here. It does not say to seeds, 
but to your seed. And Paul is taking that that idea and he's bringing it all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Remember Genesis chapter 3, 1 and 2. God creates. Everything is good. He just like, he kicks back. He's like, yeah, this is... This is really good. And then Adam and Eve, they, they mess up in the garden. And God's like, oh, man, you broke everything. Look what you did. And then, he's, then he, he, he uh, passes a judgment on them. And he's talking to Adam and he's talking to Eve and he's talking to the serpent. And he says, you know what? Between the serpent and the woman, there's going to be enmity between you. And also between your offspring. And again there, it's a singular term. And so Paul is just, he's connecting the dots in the Old Testament. He's going from the offspring of Eve to the offspring of Abraham to the offspring of David, eventually getting to Jesus. See, the Old Testament, the whole book, everything points to Christ. Everything in it points to Christ. And the reason why Paul is bringing up in the letter to the Galatians, he wants to make sure that they fully understand that the promises of the Old Testament, the promise made to Abraham of blessing, is now fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That blessing has arrived and it has been fulfilled. Everything that's been promised back then has now come to life in the person of Jesus. And now we can receive that blessing. He says, this is the law, that whole Mosaic law thing, man, that came like 430 years after the whole Abraham deal. 430 years. And it was not established. It cannot cancel anything that God has already put in place. And so the faith thing that God has put in place doesn't get canceled out by now we have to follow the rules. Faith wasn't good enough. Now it's all about a rules-oriented walk of faith because now it's not faith at all. It's your job. And it can't be canceled. It can't be changed. See, the covenant between God and Abraham was about the way the Lord intervenes, the way the Lord saves the way the Lord shares his blessing, the way the Lord will give grace and mercy and peace and love. And the law that was given to Moses, it's all about our effort. It's all about our ability or our lack of ability to actually get it done right. We can't get it done right. We can't even get the JV commandments, the 10 commandments right. Oh, well, I don't kill anybody. Well, yeah, well, look what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 6, or 7 when it says, you call somebody a fool? <laughs> just as bad as killing them. We can't even get those rights. Because it's never been about the law. It's always been about grace. You see, if our obedience to a set of rules was what released the blessings of God upon his people, guess what? We would never experience the blessings of God, ever because it's only by grace that we receive God's blessings. We cannot be good enough. We cannot follow the law. Grace takes precedent over the law. So, so you know, as, as I'm reading through all this stuff, why bother even having it? Like, why did God come up with all of these rules and regs if we can't do it anyway? If we can't get it right? I mean, the law has messed up people for a long time. Wouldn't it have been better just to just to not have it at all? 
Even today, churches, churches kind of latch into this whole legalistic uh, philosophy, theology. And people come out of those churches broken and hurt by religion and don't understand the freedom and the grace that is released in Jesus Christ. And so why would God bring the law in the first place? It's a great question. Thank you for asking because it goes right along with my notes. Because we're going to keep it simple. The law pretty much defines what sin is. There is a standard of righteousness that God requires of people. And if we don't know what that standard of righteousness is, then how will we ever know what the standard of righteousness is? Doesn't that clarify it for you? It does for me. Not. Law, the law defines what sin is. I mean, that's, it's, it's kind of just a simplistic way of looking at it. To be under the law is to be under the curse. To be under the curse is to be under sin. It almost made it a legal offense in God's economy. It's interesting to me that the rules that we're to follow show us that we can't follow the rules. That the rules can't stop us from not breaking the rules. That the law never could stop us from breaking the rules. That, and, and what that says is humanity cannot do a single thing on its own. We cannot get it right. Not even, not even a little bit. Not even a smidge. We cannot get it right. The only answer to our problem, the only answer to our death sentence is this. God's Messiah. Period. That is the only answer that we can come up with. And it's God's answer given to us. The law was never meant to be in place forever. The law was never meant to stay there forever. It came after the promise of God. 430 years after the promise of God. And so for four centuries, four centuries, people lived and walked with and worshiped the creator by faith and faith alone. And nothing is going to change that. And, and the law has revealed man's inability to do anything about our sin problem. And it just shows the, the depth of our depravity. It's a good word, huh, for Sunday morning? That's a fire and brimstone word right there, right? The depth of your depravity. Ew, it makes me just want to run away and go home because I'm not deprived. I like the Giants. So anyway, um, <laughs> Patriots fan. We're going to pray for Maria too later. No one can. All right, see, you messed me up. Where's my notes? The law. Okay, here we go. So, but the law highlights what Jesus actually accomplished on the cross. The amazing act of redemption that you can be made right with God, like 100%. Not just a little right with God, not just almost right with God. Like, like when he looks at you, he sees Jesus. Like that pure, like that, that perfect, like that white, like snow. Your garments have been clean. When God looks at you because of Christ, he sees Christ. That's what Paul can write in Romans. Therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In fact, he's going he to just lump on this whole idea of, you know, in, in Judaism in the first century, it was this 
Torah. It was the set of rules that people put on the pedestal and they looked to as the pathway to get right with God. And and they looked to it and they had to follow it and they had to do everything that was in it. And and Paul's like, "You you don't get it. The whole thing is... The whole thing is inferior to faith. He goes, because first of all, yeah, God gave the law, but then the law was given to the angels, and then the angels gave it to the mediator, who was Moses, and Moses finally gave it to the people. It was just given as, think of it like this. The the law is the arrows painted in the road. Guidelines. They, 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 They point us in the direction of God. But they can never get us there. It does represent God's will for us, what God would want from us, but it can never be our source of life. It can never give us life. And that's what the theology back then said. If you studied the law, if you studied the Torah, that that would instill in you life. And even Jesus says, you study the scriptures. You look in the scriptures thinking that in them you have eternal life. But he says, no, you don't get it. All of it points to me. All of it points to Christ. And in him we have life, not just words in a page. This is the blueprint or this is the guidelines or this is the arrow to point us to him because in Christ and in Christ alone is where we have eternal life. It's always been about grace. It's always been about the promise. And it's always been about the faith in the promise. Do you know that in the Bible there's over... 7,000 promises of God. Now, a lot of them are redundant. Um, You know, they promise the same thing, but over 7,000 promises of blessing. So it's always been about faith and the promise of blessing that's now been revealed in Jesus Christ. Each one of those blessings are yours. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to be good enough to get them. They've been poured out to you because of your faith in Jesus Christ. Are you following that? 7,000 blessings are yours in Jesus. Faith in Christ has released that blessing into you. You can walk in them. They're yours to own. They are in spite of promises, in spite of blessings, in spite of all the things you've messed up on, all the things you will mess up on, all the things you're messing up on now. In spite of those things, because of Jesus, the blessings of God are upon you. I made up this little thing we're going to look at. I want you to be reminded of just some of the blessings that God has for you.
always been about God's promises to his people. It's always been about our faith in those promises. God, uh, Abraham believed God and that was credited to him as his righteousness. And it was his faith in the promises of God that actually allowed him to move and to live and to answer the call that God put on his life. It was the faith in the promises of God that allowed Abraham to live the calling that God put on his life. And he wasn't perfect by any means. He stumbled. He doubted. He was fearful. He lied. But he always came back to faith. It always came back to his faith. His faith overcame his doubt, and it was his faith that was credited to him as righteousness. And so, do you believe in the promises of God? I mean, do you believe those things that you read that because of Jesus Christ, those have been released into your life? Do you believe it? I mean, I see you read them, and I know you get it, but do you really believe it? Because it's faith in the promises that Jesus Christ has released into the world and faith in Jesus Christ that will allow you to begin to live the life he's called you to live. You're never going to get there on your own. You're never going to get there in your own. You're never going to try to figure it all out, put your five-year plan together, and you got this. You got nothing without Jesus. Always been faith. Faith in the promises of God. And the promise of God has been revealed in Jesus Christ. Church, we have been called to live in faith even in our failures. We have been called to live in faith even in our doubts. We have been called to live in faith, in grace, and in mercy, and in God's love. And ultimately, we have been called to walk in faith in the freedom that has been given to us by Jesus Christ. So let's pray. God, I want to thank you for the promise of blessing that you have poured out through Jesus Christ on your church. God, and I just, I'm amazed at your grace that you've given to us as a people. But Lord, I pray over, I pray over our church this morning that the people here, that everyone here um, would understand the promise that they have received the blessings of our Father in heaven through faith in Jesus Christ, that they don't have to work for that blessing. They already have received it. It's theirs. Now, Lord, I pray that they would walk in it every day, be empowered by it every day, be encouraged with it every day, and that victory would come into their lives beyond what the world considers victorious, beyond uh, troubles and beyond the, the, the mountaintop experiences and even the valley experiences, that we would walk in spiritual victory because of the blessings poured out upon us because of Jesus. We thank you for your love and your mercy. We praise you in that name. Amen.